Amen. So good to sing about the only hope that we have. Where can we go but to the cross? Uh, and so we go there again uh, week after week, looking at the fact that our hope is not in ourselves, but our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. And so we started this series last week called The Five Solos. You could say The Five Onlys. But it's a way of describing, as people look back on the period of time known as the Protestant Reformation, which we celebrate the 500-year anniversary of this month, which is why we're doing this series at this time. But as we look back at that, people looked at the fact that the five truths that really were kind of recovered during this period of time were these five that we're going to look at over these next few weeks. There were ways in which the church at the time... 500 years ago, had somewhat clouded over or twisted some of the core truths that Scripture was not being clearly taught and the Gospel was not being clearly proclaimed. And there were many who said, well, this doesn't seem right. I think Scripture ought to be clearly taught and that the Gospel ought to be clearly proclaimed. And so they started seeing these things in Scripture and wanted to hand them on to other people. And it's fitting for us to go over this again this October, 500 years later, because there are ways in which in our day, the church has also gotten off track. We've started in believing and teaching in even the church things that are not clearly taught in Scripture and ignoring other things that are clearly taught in Scripture. And so we see the need to get back to what is at the core of what we believe as a church. And so last week, we looked at Paul's letter to his understudy named Timothy, and Timothy was pastoring in a place called Ephesus. Now, today we're going to jump into the book of Ephesians, which is the letter that Paul wrote directly to the church in Ephesus. So, same kind of context that we looked at last week, but last week we saw that Paul told Timothy to do a very hard thing, but a very necessary thing. Paul told Timothy, you are to proclaim to the people of Ephesus, the people in whose city there were, remember, 50 temples to various gods and goddesses that they could worship, and Timothy was to proclaim to them, and God's people there were to proclaim to the people around them, there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom. That was the message they were to proclaim. Good news, certainly, but also dangerous news for them to share. We talked about how the fact that even in our day, this message isn't very popular to tell people there is only one God, and there are not multiple ways for you to get connected with that God, but there is only one way through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. So that's what we looked at last week, in Christ alone. And now today we look at grace alone. So, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians both today and next week. Today we're going through chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Next week, as we talk about faith alone, we're going to go through verses 8 through 10. Okay, so same context. Basically, Paul's now writing directly to the church in Ephesus. And here's the big idea today. Being dead in our sin and under God's wrath, we can only be saved by God's grace. Okay, so in your bulletin, there's a little sheet Got the big idea on the top, some application questions down below, but a spot for you to take notes during this sermon if that's helpful for you. Big idea today, being dead in our sin and under God's wrath, we can only be saved by God's grace. Now, 
I've, uh, if you've been in the church for a while, I've preached on this passage before. A couple of years ago, I looked at my notes and saw that I did. I can probably tell you, I've been here for five years, this won't be the last time I preach on this passage. If there's a passage in Scripture that I think most clearly teaches us what it is to be human and how it comes to be about that, how we come to be saved and to be reconciled to God, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 is one of the most helpful passages. And so, today we read verses 1 through 7. If you're able to, would you please stand as we read the Word of God? Let me pray again, and then we'll read together. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would now work in our hearts in such a way that we would hear and understand and believe and feel the weight of the bad news that we see in the first part of this passage so that we might rejoice in and clearly see the good news that comes in the second half of this passage. I don't know that I, I know that I'm not capable of doing that through my preaching, but I know that your spirit is capable of doing that in our hearts. So guide our minds and our hearts even now that we might hear your word clearly and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word says this in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. You can be seated. So, as I prayed, I am hoping that you might experience, and wherever you're at, you might experience hearing and understanding and believing the really bad news at the beginning of this passage and the really good news at the last part of this passage. And so let's just walk through this. I want to make sure we understand it, and then we're going to spend some time applying it after that. But first, we need to understand it. So let's look at verse 1, and verse 1 is very clear and very direct. Paul is talking, and you'll notice that he's talking in the past tense, because Paul is talking to the church. He's talking to those who have put their faith in Jesus and have been saved, and so he uses the past tense when he speaks to them, saying, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, notice that he says, he d well, notice what he doesn't say, okay? Paul is not saying to the church in Ephesus, listen, your sin is slowing you down and you ought to work on that. He's not saying to them, you know, you are a pretty good person, but there's room for improvement. That's not the message that Paul is sharing with the people in Ephesus. He's reminding them 
that before they were saved, they were dead. Their situation was quite desperate. They were dead in their transgressions and sins. Now, transgressions and sins, almost interchangeable, not quite. Transgressions just means going a different direction than God's way. And sin means missing the mark, failing to live up to God's standard. Okay? So, remembering that we were once people who did not, on our own, live up to God's standard. We sinned against God. We trespassed. We went a different way than the way that God would intend for us to go. And because of that, we were not just a little bit sick, but we were dead. Well, how did we get dead in our trespasses and sins? Verse 2 says this, that we followed the ways of this world and we followed Satan. Here's how he starts. In which you once walked, okay, you once walked following the course of this world. Here's what we used to be like. We used to just go with the flow and do what everybody else did, right? In which we once walked following the course of this world. I can share with you from my own life, and I won't get into any detail, but I can share with you, this is my life before Christ. I can look back and I read this verse and I'm like, yep, that was me. On the outside, I could do religious things that made religious people think I was pretty good and pretty religious. But on the inside, and in many ways on the outside, I was just doing what everybody else was doing. What other people valued, that's what I valued. What other people loved, that's what I loved. How other people talked, that's how I talked. I was following the course of this world. which we once walked following the course of this world. And then he goes on, and this is kind of a little bit jarring when he says this, following the prince of the power of the air. I won't get into uh, explaining all of where this comes from, but this is a description of the enemy or Satan or the devil, right? That we were not just doing what everybody else was doing. We were doing what it was that Satan would want us to do. Satan, whose aim is to twist and lie and steal and kill and destroy, when we were doing what everybody else was doing, living in our sin, we were doing exactly what Satan would have us do. So we weren't just following the rest of the world. We were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then he goes on from there and even says this, among whom we all once lived. Okay, this is not like, there's not exceptions. Well, like, well not me, because I was raised in the right family, uh, right? This is all of us. We all once lived there. And in addition to us following the ways of the world and following Satan, it says we also, why did we do that? Why did we follow the ways of this world? Why did that seem so appealing to us? And why were we under, really, in many ways, the control of the evil one? It's because of what was inside of us. Earlier, when we started the worship service, we confessed together that we believed that we were in union with Adam. When Adam sinned, we born into we who are born as humans then are born into sin. We're sinners by nature and by choice. We sin because we're sinners, right? And so here it says, living in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You know why we sin? You know why? We, because we want to, right? We're, we're, we can't blame it on something like, well, I was just following Satan. I was just doing what everybody else was doing. No, the reason that we did it was because we wanted to do it, following the desires of our body and mind. My body told me to do it. My mind told me to do it, so I did it. I said what I said. I thought what I thought. I did what I did because that's what I wanted to do, right? So that's the reality. We do what our sinful flesh wants us to do. And where does that leave us? Where does that bring us? The end of verse 3 says this, And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. As we live in this world doing what everybody else is doing, valuing what everybody else values, thinking how everybody else thinks, carrying out the desires of our flesh, that leads us down a path in which we become people who are by nature under the wrath of God. Children of wrath is the way it puts it here. Like the rest of mankind. So the enemy is not just the world, not just the devil, it's our own sinful flesh. And so we can look at somebody like Stephen Paddock, right? And we can see the, the, the evil act that he carried out. And we can see evil there. But we dare not think he's in some different category. He's evil and I'm relatively good. We need to recognize that, that in many ways all of us alike are evil and by nature under the wrath of God because of our sin and our desire to sin. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So, so before we move on to verse 4, we need to slow down when you're reading a passage like this, and we need to feel the weight of verses 1 through 3. You're not just a really pretty good person who happens to occasionally sin. That's not where we're, what we're being saved from, right? We're being saved from being people who naturally follow the course of this world, follow the enemy, and do whatever we want. And this leads us to be, one, dead in our sin, verse 1, and two, under God's wrath, verse 3. So, so do you feel the weight of that? Do you understand what Scripture says about the human condition? Do you understand how badly we need God's grace and how we don't just need to get a little better and a little more religious and we don't need a life coach to help us out so we can be a little better people? Right? That's not going to work. That's not go- we're not going to deal with this problem of not just needing some tweaks in our life, but being spiritually dead. We need God's grace and we need it desperately. Many churches would be scared to teach something like we see here in verses 1 to 3. Kind of sugarcoat it or soften it in some way. But I don't want to sugarcoat it or soften it in some way because then we miss out on the good news that we need to hear in verses 4 and following. I don't want to sugarcoat this reality that I've gotten myself to a spot where I'm spiritually dead and under God's wrath. So verses 1 to 3 tell us what's true about us as humans. And if we understand and believe that to be true, then verses 4 to 7 sound like really good news. 
So let's look at verses 4 to 7. And I love these words, but God. Okay, so you, you feel all that. If you're really feeling the weight of verses 1 to 3, you're thinking back through your past, not even maybe just distant past, but like the last week, and all of the ways in which you've fallen short and missed the mark. And you realize, I'm dead in my sin, children of wrath, but God. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope when death is the reality, but then we hear words like this, but God. Verses 1 to 3, here's, here's what's true about you. Starting in verse 4, here's what's true about God. And what's true about God is really good news because here's what it says next. Because of his, or being rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us. This God who is holy and just, who is perfect and has a perfect standard that we've failed to live up to, this God is rich in mercy. Mercy means a God who does not give us what we deserve. So we see we're dead in our sin, children of wrath, but we don't get that. Why don't we get that? Is it because God sees like a little inkling of good in us and it's enough to, to make him be merciful? No. It's because he is just a God who is rich in mercy and rich in love and he loves us. You hear that? He loves you. Right? A God who loves us, and because of his great love for us, he does something. And that was, that's what we see here in verses 5 and 6. He says this, even when we were dead. So a reminder from verse 1, remember, dead in your trespasses. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, like I said, it's not like God sees a little flicker of goodness in you and thinks, oh, I can work with that. That one's good enough for it. No, he sees us in our state as we are, spiritually dead. Unable to have a right relationship with a holy and just God. He sees us in uh, like our, our, our lifeless corpse. And because of his great love for us, he does something. And what does he do? Something we can't do on our own. We're dead, and he made us alive. You can't do that. You ever made anything dead alive again? You think if you yourself are dead, you can make yourself alive? No, that's work that God must do. When we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. Not only that, he raised us up and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How does he do this? Well, notice that it's with him. We think about where we were. We just sang earlier, he saved a wretch like me. If you don't believe that you're a wretch, <laughs> that if, you don't, if you believe that I'm really genuinely okay, like I'm pretty good, then you don't need someone like God to save you. But the reality is we're dead in our sin and we need God's grace. And so it says here, God brings that to us in Christ. Notice I put in italics and bold, with Christ, with him, with him. The way that we who are spiritually dead have the hope of being made alive again is because Jesus died in our place for our sin 
and was raised to life. And when we trust in him, we who were once dead are made alive together with him and seated with, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Okay? All right, and we've got one more verse. Why? Why would God do this? And it says in verse 7, for this reason, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is showing us this grace in a way to show something else, to put on display his grace to others in the coming ages, the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. So his grace is on display. Salvation then comes to us by, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. You might wonder, well, how do you receive it? Okay, So if, if we need Christ and what he's done, and he's the only God, only mediator between God and man, the one who gave his life as a ransom, Jesus, he's the only means by which salvation comes, and it comes only by God's grace, because I couldn't do anything about it, because I'm dead in my sin. How do we receive it? That's what we'll look at next week, but I'll just tell you the answer now, by faith, by faith alone. Okay? We'll see that more clearly next week as we look at verses 8 to 10. But I want to end by doing a bit of application. Last week, we looked at these truths and said, why are these things necessary? Why do we, why do we want to know and believe and teach these things to our kids and proclaim them to lost people? Why is this necessary? And also, why is this dangerous? And so here's what it says here. In Ephesus, it was necessary because the people there needed to know how bad they were. They needed to know how bad they were, what God had saved them out of. 500 years ago, here's the reality. Uh, I'll tell you a quick uh, story of a reformer, uh, one we talked about last week as well, named Martin Luther. Okay, Um, When Martin Luther was a boy and when he was even a young man, he was taught that you had to do your best to receive God's grace. So he believed in God's grace. He was taught about God's grace, but he was told, you have to do your best to receive God's grace. And this, as he started to reflect on it more and more as he got older, tormented him. Because he realized that he wasn't always doing his best. And so he wondered, am I going to receive God's grace because I haven't done my best? And here I failed again. And he's tormented because he realizes how far short he falls. And so he, along with many others, wondered often, is God's grace enough? And and asked questions like, how long will I have to be in purgatory? Like, I know that God's grace gets me out of eternal punishment, but it's not good enough to get me into heaven, so I'm going to have to pay myself for some things for a period of time in this place called purgatory. How long am I going to have to do that? He wondered about that. He was tormented about that. Other people in his day were as well. And so it became necessary that they hear this great truth that we are spiritually dead. And once we're in Christ, by God's grace, we don't have some more stuff that we need to pay on our own, but we're already seated with him in the heavenly realms. And so he would go on to teach that. And today, here's the re- I read about this uh, survey um, recently taken. Here's, here's where I have it, okay? 
evangelicals, that's us, okay? People who believe in the authority of Scripture, that salvation comes by faith alone, God's grace alone, in Christ alone, right? Here's what a survey just found out, very recent. 84%, so like, we're over 100 people here, but like more than 80 of us here, 84% of evangelicals believe that in salvation, God helps those who help themselves and believe that's a biblical teaching, okay? When they were surveyed, a bunch of evangelicals, there, is it true that in salvation, God helps those who help themselves? 84% of evangelicals said yes, that's true, that's biblical. And a third of them even said that all good people go to heaven when they die, regardless of whether they've believed in Christ or not, okay? So does our church need to be teaching these things once again? And the answer was uh, yes, we do. Because we still function as people who think that God needs something from us. That it can't be God's grace alone, but it's God's grace with something that we do as well. We have functionally still a Roman Catholic theology that they were trying to fight against during the time of the Reformation. And so I just went to, because um, I don't want to just like like caricature, we're not a Roman Catholic church on purpose, right? Um, and And so I went to the Roman Catholic church's catechism. And here's what it says. Here's how it talks about grace. In every circumstance, each one of us should hope with the grace of God to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. So most people would recognize, yes, we need God's grace, but they would have this kind of view of grace. We're rewarded with the joy of heaven because of our good works that come to us along with the grace of Christ. Our works get accomplished with the grace of Christ. Like, I, I can do some stuff, but I need God's grace to kind of fill in the gap for everything else, right? And that's what a lot of us believe. Not by God's grace alone, but I can do this with God's grace. I need some help. And again, kind of that God helps those who help themselves kind of theology, But is that what we saw in Ephesians chapter 2? Did we see Ephesians chapter 2 teaching that, yes, you can do it with God's help. You just just need God's grace to kind of make up for where you lack. That's not what I see in Ephesians chapter 2. So why is it necessary? Because of all those things. And it's a dangerous teaching because of this. In Ephesus, spiritual people don't like to be told they're spiritually dead. Okay? There's a lot of Jewish people in Ephesus who thought they were very religious and very spiritual. And there's a lot of pagan Gentiles who worshipped a lot of gods. And they didn't like to be told, you're spiritually dead. 500 years ago, there was uh, one thing that just really made Martin Luther and others mad was this teaching about purgatory and indulgences. That, that there were people going around and teaching that you have loved ones who have gone into purgatory And the saying was, every time uh, a coin in the coffer rings a a soul from Purgatory Springs, right? Like, if you want your loved ones to get out of the the purifying fires of Purgatory and into heaven, you give us some money, indulgences. And Luther was like, that's messed up, right? I mean, I don't think he said it quite like that because he was German. And so he didn't say, that's like messed up. Uh, That sounded pretty uh, American. But he looked at it, he's like, that's not right, Right? And so it was dangerous for him to start proclaiming that we are saved by God's grace alone. We're spiritually dead. Right? 
and we can't do anything to earn our or anybody else's salvation. And it's dangerous in our day because we live around a bunch of people, including ourselves, who like to think we're not all that bad. It's an unpopular message to share with people. Listen, if you are apart from Christ, if you do not trust in Christ alone, you are dead in your sin and you are a children of a child of wrath. That's an unpopular message to proclaim in our day. So it's a dangerous way, dangerous thing to preach in many ways. Because here's what we like. We like the idea, like if we're out swimming, okay, if the analogy is swimming, we like the idea like we're struggling. Maybe we're kind of bobbing in and out, and we're not sure if we can make it. We like the idea that like Jesus throws out a little tube to us, and we grab onto the tube, and then he pulls us into safety. Because then I still did something, right? I got to grab onto that tube, and he got to pull me in, and so... I'm so thankful. I couldn't have done it without him, but I had, I, I got to do something too. We like to, right? Where the reality is, we're this dead, lifeless corpse, drowning, having drowned, uh, right? Laying there and unable to do anything on our own. But thankfully, God jumps in, in Christ, jumps in and rescues us and breathes life into our deadness, right? He makes us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And that's good news. So as dangerous as it might be to proclaim it, this is the good news that we hear, that we believe, that we teach, and that we proclaim. The good news that God's grace isn't almost enough, and he's just waiting for you to do some stuff too, but God's grace is enough. And so I just ask you this. Would you believe the bad news about your sin, about death, about God's just wrath? Have you ever been confronted with the truth about who you really are? Or have you been told most of your life that you're pretty good? And you might need a bit of God's grace. But the reality is this. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin and under the wrath of God. But then that makes this good news sound so good. God loves us. He is rich in mercy. And because of that great love and mercy, he has shown us grace in sending his son. And we who are dead can be made alive with Christ. That's good news. And that comes by grace alone. And like we're going to talk about next week, it comes and we receive it by faith alone. So let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for this good news. I get to the end of a passage like that. And I feel like, well, I didn't do that justice. I wish I could help everybody along with me to more clearly see how desperate our situation was, how dead we were in our deadness, what it would be like to experience your wrath, which we deserve, and that that would cause us and cause me to be all the more grateful for your grace to us. But I know this sermon's probably not capable of doing that. But I know your spirit is. And so I pray that your spirit would continue to work in people. That we would wrestle with this hard to swallow truth of the fact that in Adam, we are sinners by nature and choice, dead in our sin, unable to make ourselves right with you, and totally dependent on your grace. And God, I thank you that because of your great love and mercy, you've made your grace available to us in Christ. So thank you 
Thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you that we can be united with Christ. And the hope that that gives us, that we will be raised to new life. To live forever in your presence. A place we don't deserve, but a place you give to us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able to, go ahead and stand. We're going to sing a song. Remember, as we saw here in Ephesians 2, our hope is tied directly to the death and resurrection of Jesus. We can die to sin and be made alive in Christ because of what Christ has done. And so we're going to sing about that together.